and it's just incredible like oh if i could just change my mind my mind is so much more powerful than my lower feelings and my lower chakras yeah. but what here's the beautiful part there are three chakras above the heart which are involved with consciousness and spirituality there are three chakras below the heart which are really concerned with our physical life expression on this planet and most important that people don't recognize there's one in the middle right between the upper and lower three that's the heart chakra yep. and all of a sudden it says the heart is what integrates both the spirit and the material plane Nothing you do matters, unless what you do matters. I'm Amadon Delerba, and this is Get Real or Die Trying. How are we doing, Tribe? Amadon Delerba here at Get Real or Die Trying podcast. This is episode 36, and I'm very excited to be sitting down virtually, of course, with Dr. Bruce Lipton. I have uh, had the pleasure of reading and studying some of his books the last few years, and I've known about him longer than that. And so I'm just, you know, very excited actually to have you on my show, Bruce. Thanks for coming on. I am excited to be with you. I really appreciate what you're doing, bringing information to the world that is in desperate need of some new stories because the current one isn't working right. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. I just wanted to let our audience know real quick about you. I'll read a little. Uh, tad bit from your website here. Bruce Lipton is a PhD. He's an internationally recognized leader in bridging science and spirit, which I really personally love. He's a stem cell biologist. He's a best-selling author of The Biology of Belief, and he's the recipient of the 2009 Goya Peace Award. He's been a guest speaker on hundreds of TV and radio shows, as well as a keynote presenter for national and international conferences and now you can add the uh, Get Real or Die Trying podcast. Put that on your website. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, I've been, um, you know, this book right here, Biology of I've Belief. I've seen that. Yeah, I think I've you have. I've seen that book around. <laughs> it's yeah. been around. Uh, I love this book. It's a book that you can kind of study. You don't just read it once and then, you know, put it down and say, oh, you read it. And it's just a lot of great information. Little preference about me. Um, I'm a student at the University of Ascension Science and the Physics of Rebellion, which is a spiritual university being built here in Southern Arizona. It was actually founded by my parents, who are both spiritual teachers and writers as well. And there's a lot of parallel teachings. And we actually use uh, some of your uh, material as curriculum in our adult uh, schools, in our uh, evening classes where we do spiritual study. And I so, love that. Yeah, and so uh, that's really how I started uh, learning about you. It was in our classes, and I was like, wow, this stuff is really in line with our spiritual teachings and some of the writings and the revelation information brought through my father, Gable of Urantia. So very excited about that. And uh, like I said, I've been kind of studying this on and off for years and still learning, so I'm excited to have a conversation. And uh, just getting prepped for... Uh, the interview, I went to your YouTube channel and checked out some of your, uh, you know, videos and some of your recent stuff. You have a lot of fun ones there. It looks like you, I appreciate that you have fun while you're bringing new information to the world as well, because that's what it's about, you know. For your, for the audience who's not aware of Bruce, you know, one of my uh, things that I appreciate about Bruce is the, is the merge of spirituality and science. And we here... Uh, the University of Ascension Science call that Ascension Science, and that's really the, the fuse, the fusing of spirituality concepts with science, which really needs to happen, because as you're very familiar, 
uh, in the world of science, there's a huge separation of, of, of spirituality and science, of consciousness and science, and it really does a, a harm to the evolving consciousness. And I think a lot of your research, and we'll talk about that over the years, has helped to bridge that gap, which is just fantastic. Um, I wanted to start out, you know, talking about just maybe you could kind of, for the audience, give a, a broad kind of summary of the concept of biology of belief in the <laughs> research. And I know it's a, you could talk for hours on it, but basically the essential understanding that our thoughts control our reality more than we realize and that there is now science to back that up. Well, let's start with the first, the, the strong science, quantum physics, the most valid science on this planet. There's no other science been tested or proved to you know, be more truthful than quantum physics. So right away, if we're going to argue with the science, not quantum physics. And, and yeah. quantum physics, principle number one is uh, consciousness is creating our life experiences. And this is real interesting. It sounds so new agey and stuff like that. But actually, from 1927, the, when quantum physics was introduced into the world, from that very beginning, uh, it was already postulated that consciousness is the creator. In fact, Max Planck, the, one of the founding fathers of quantum physics, uh, uh, offered this in 1927. He said, the mind is the matrix of all matter. Uh, what he was saying, the mind is the environment that generates all matter. Uh, and that's really difficult because uh, most people live in a world where they see physical things and then recognize there's an invisible energy and there are physical things. And I go, that's a Newtonian perspective, uh, dividing the universe into two realms, matter and energy. Quantum physics brings the two together, says, no, there's only one realm. It's all energy and everything is interconnected. Energy doesn't have borders. So we're all in one giant soup of energy. Okay. And the belief, of course, is consciousness is creating this life experience. Well, when I was doing my research on stem cells 50 years ago, uh, I was cloning stem cells. And stem cells are embryonic cells that are in our body to replace the cells that die every day. So we have stem, all of us have stem cells right now. If you're listening and watching, <clears throat> you have stem cells because uh, if you don't have stem cells, you would have died a long time ago. <laughs> so the point about it is we all have stem cells. They're multipotential. And I was cloning stem cells. That means I put one stem cell in a dish all by itself, and then it divides every 10 or 12 hours. So first there's one, then there's two, then there's four, eight, doubling, et cetera. After a week, 30,000 cells in the Petri dish, and they're all genetically identical. So that's a starting point. And then I say, okay, put those cells, split them up into three Petri dishes. So there are three different Petri dishes, but they're all genetically identical cells. I changed the chemistry of the culture medium a little bit. The culture medium is the environment in which the cells grow. And we're going to get to this because it's profoundly important. Culture medium is the laboratory version of blood. If I'm going to grow human cells, I say, what's human blood made out of? And then in the lab, I try to put that together, formulate a culture medium based on that. You grow mouse cells, you look at what mouse blood's made out of. So you put the cells in the environment that they live in. But since I'm creating the culture made in a lab, I could change some of the variants of, of the composition. So I have three dishes, genetically identical cells, but I have three slightly chemically different versions of culture medium. And in culture medium A, which is environment A for the cells, the cells form muscle. In uh, culture medium B, genetically identical cells, but a different environment, culture medium, the cells form bone. And in the third dish with, again, genetically identical cells, but a different culture medium, the cells form fat cells. So I say, well, 
They're all genetically identical, but in one dish bone, the other dish muscle, the other dish fat cells. I said, what controlled that? Well, you say genetics. I say, no, no, they all had the same genes. Couldn't have been that. It was the environment. Mm -hmm. And and so this becomes profoundly important because uh, I was teaching at the time medical students the belief that genes control our lives, which most of the public still believes, which is a total false understanding. And it's false and, and, and disastrous for this reason. Uh, because uh, basically, uh, the whole science is called genetic determinism. Mm -hmm. Genes determine the character. Uh, so I say, well, uh, as far as we know, we didn't pick the genes we came with. If you don't like the characteristics, you can't change the genes. And then add on top of that the notion that genes turn on and off by themselves. And I say, so why is it relevant? I say, well, the genes are controlling my life. I can't control them. They're turning on and off, mm. and they control my character. And I go, well, I didn't pick them. I can't change them, and they control themselves. I become a victim of mm. my genetics. Oh, mm -hmm. cancer running in my family, Alzheimer's running. Everybody believes, oh, my God, genes are going to cause all these problems. But uh, this research reveals totally something different. It said the genes didn't make a decision at all. It was the environment that determined what happened to the genes. And so the relevance about that is, uh, what's the environment? <laughs> I go, why? Here's the main difference, because the new science is called epigenetics. Yep. That's the science I saw in the Petri dish. What does it mean? Genetically identical cells, but in different environments have different fate. Basic point was, the genes didn't make this decision. The environment made this decision. Mm -hmm. I go, so why is it relevant? I say, the conventional story, genetic determinism, the environment's not involved. You're just a, a, a victim of the genes running in your family. And, yep. and as a victim, you have no power. Genes are going to do this. You're going to get cancer. Fine. I go, and what about the new science, epigenetics? Well, epigenetics is what happened in the tissue culture. It said that the environment was controlling the fate of the cells. And I go, so why, why is that so relevant? I say, well, because we can change the environment. We can control the environment. That takes us from victim to master. We are masters of our own genetics, if you understand the mechanism of it. Yeah. Uh, if you don't, uh, it basically comes out. How does it control that? Maybe that's the bigger issue. I go, let's go back. I have cells in a plastic culture dish, and the environment is culture medium, which is representative of blood. And now I give you the breakthrough, and the breakthrough is this. A human is a skin-covered Petri dish with 50 trillion cells inside with the original culture medium, blood. Yep. And so it doesn't make a difference if the cell is in a plastic dish or a skin-covered dish. It's still controlled by the environment. And I go, so the relevance about that is, well, we control that environment. I say, well, how? I say, culture medium, blood in my body, the chemistry of the culture medium is what controls the genes. That's what the, happened in the plastic dish, but it's the same in the skin dish. I go, here comes the whole thing coming down, and it goes like this. Well, my blood is the culture medium controls the fate of my cells. I go, yes, it is. And I go, it's the chemistry of your blood. And then I go, well, who's the chemist? I go, the brain is the chemist. It puts the different chemicals into the blood. And then here it goes. The, the biggest one now is, what chemicals should the brain put into the blood? And then all of a sudden it goes, <gasps> whatever picture you hold in your mind, the brain translates that into complementary chemistry. And that chemistry goes into the body and paints the body more or less to the image of what was in the mind. 
Mm. Positive thinking gives me a positive, healthy aspect. Negative thinking can cause me to die. I could get sick from negative thinking. Yeah. And I say it's the thinking that adjusts the chemistry. Yeah. And then the bottom line comes this. So basically, it goes back to the physics. Consciousness is creating our life experience. Consciousness comes from the mind. The picture in the mind determines the chemistry, and the chemistry determines the fate. Yep. If you change the picture in your mind, you change the chemistry, you change the fate. So I'll give an example. If I have a picture of love in my mind, the brain releases complementary chemistry, dopamine, pleasure, oxytocin, bond with your loved one, growth hormone which does exactly what it says. It enhances your growth. And that's why when people fall in love, the chemistry of the brain going into the blood, the culture medium, enhances vitality. People glow when they fall in love. People are healthy when they fall in love. I said, it's not an accident. It's the chemistry of your culture medium. Mm -hmm. But now I say, but wait, what if I have a picture of fear? I go, oh, well, love chemistry doesn't come out when fear is in the picture. The brain releases stress hormones and factors that affect the immune system and growth of the system. And I go, oh, my goodness. I say, why is it relevant? Changing my thought changes my chemistry. The chemistry adjusts my biology. So if I can control my thoughts, I can control the chemistry, and therefore I control the biology. That takes me to empowerment, mastery. After being programmed by medicine and biology all these years that you're just a victim of your genes, that's 100% false. Genes cannot turn on and off by themselves. They're controlled by the signals of the environment, which are then controlled by the brain and the consciousness. Yep. And all of a sudden it says, yeah, but I control those things. I go, yes, you do. And as a result, you have power to, to heal yourself and create what you want on this planet but there's a couple of little problems that get in the way. Uh, and I said, the mind is controlling the chemistry. And that's where the problem comes from, because you say the mind, it sounds like, oh, there's only one mind. I go, no, that's the problem. There are two minds, and they work inter interdependently. They work with each other. I say, what are they? I say, well, the latest evolution is the conscious mind, which is right behind your forehead here. It's the part of the brain where the conscious mind is. Uh, that's creative. Conscious mind is creative. That's why humans have an ability that other organisms don't have. We can create with our consciousness, okay? Yeah. Uh, in contrast, I say, what's the other mind? I say, that's the subconscious mind. I go, what's that? I say, it's a hard drive with programs in it. I go, so why is that relevant? And I say, well, number one, the programs that are in your subconscious mind didn't come from you. They came from other people. Yeah. I go, why is that relevant? Because whatever programs you got from other people didn't answer what you wanted in your life. It wasn't what you were looking for. That's what other people's minds were looking for. Yeah. Most of the programs that are downloaded are uh, disempowering. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I go, Here, here's why there's programming and how you get it and why it's disempowering. The idea that the cultured cells that I showed, uh, the environment controlled the uh, the um, fate of the genetics, which is the fate of the cells. Uh, and then I say, but that environment is interpreted by the mind. And then I say, there are two minds. And I say, when the conscious mind is running the show, the creative mind, the advanced one, uh, that mind is creative. It has wishes and desires. What do you want? Love, health, happiness, great job, all these. Yeah, that's creative conscious mind. I go, what about subconscious mind? I said, hard drive. I, okay, so the parallel. 
the brain is a supercomputer in a sense. It's the most powerful computer we know on the planet. And I go, so why is it relevant? I said, it has the same subunits and functions as a silicon conventional computer, but it's a carbon-based computer. I go, so what? I say, go to the store, buy a brand new computer, bring it in here right now. I say, push start, the thing boots up, and I go, great. And then I say, now do something. Make a drawing, write a spreadsheet, write a story. You know, can't do it. I say, you got a brand new computer. Yeah. Yeah. Not until I download programs can I use the computer. So you download the programs, and then you can type putting information into the computer. I say, so why is it relevant? A child's brain can boot up in the last trimester of pregnancy, but it's got no programs. It can't use it without a program. So the first seven years of a child's life, the brain is operating at a vibrational frequency, which means putting wires on a person's head, electroencephalograph, reading their brain function. The vibration of a brain of a child under seven is not at the level of consciousness. It's at a lower vibration called theta. I go, what's theta? Character? imagination. This is how kids, uh, they ride a broom and it's a horse and the mother says, give me the broom. But the kid, it is not a broom. In the imagination, that is a horse. Or uh, they have a tea party, they pour nothing into the cup, drink the nothing, and talk about how the most fabulous tea they ever just had in their life. Imagination. But it's also hypnosis. Mm -hmm. I guess the why is irrelevant. I say, how many rules does it take to be a functional member of a family and a community? Oh, my God, there's thousands of rules. I mean, just simple point. How a father talks to his own child is not how the father talks to the neighbor's child. It's not how the father talks to the mother. It's not how the father talks to the neighbor. It's not how the father talks to the policeman. I go, geez, all of a sudden, it's like half a dozen different ways of, uh, of talking just to deal with the circumstance. I say thousands of rules. How does a child learn the thousands of rules necessary to be a functional member of family and community? The answer is, first seven years of life, brain is operating at uh, theta, which is hypnosis. I say, so what's the function? Watch the mother, father, siblings, and community. Watch them. It's like a video camera. I observe their behavior, and I download it. That's where I got my program from. So my programs, your programs, our programs, they didn't come from us. They came from other people. Did they have your wishes and desires in mind? Probably not. So I say, why is it relevant? Well, their programs aren't going to take you to where you want to go. And in fact, most of the programs that we download are disempowering yeah. more than half. Let me jump yeah. in here because you just covered so much. So <laughs> you're good, though. You can go on a, on, a, on, a, on a monologue probably for hours. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> just to circle back to a few points so our, our yes, listeners can, can grab Bring us a, up to date. Yeah, so the listeners can grab a few tidbits. Um, yes. So essentially, you know, our thinking is so important. And this is, this is the science that... Uh, you know, we're not raised in, in American culture and Western medical science and all this to really give a lot of power to our thinking until recently. And this is what you're calling the new science. And, you know, we study this, too. And uh, my father calls it thought science and, and the science beh behind thought and how powerful it is. And you mentioned about uh, cloning the cells. And in one of your videos I saw online, you, sh you, you popped up a video of you and, and you cloned yourself. And you had a bunch of little U's and everybody was yelling yeah. and you were talking about disharmony in the cells and how that disharmony calls, causes disease. And Absolutely. I think that's a really big and important fact that you touched on in your monologue there too about the fact that there has to be harmony on a molecular, structural, atomic cell level in our bodies. And that uh, yes. 
that actually starts in the mind and in the thinking and that our belief and our thinking controls our cellular reality. And for those of us who understand that, it's so freeing and empowering. But you see that getting the knowledge of it like is one thing, then practicing it in our day-to-day life is another. Thus enters in the spiritual need and values for discipline. Uh, you mentioned um, self-control, you know, and, and, and these these spiritual aspects of uh, maturity that we have to bring in to then apply the knowledge. Because yes. anyone can attain knowledge, read it, and know something and have the intellectual understanding. But then to apply it in their daily lives takes more than just knowledge. It takes spiritual awareness, presence, consciousness, discipline, commitment, awareness, you know. And so that's kind of where I like to, um, you know, there's... Jump the, in? Yeah, there, well, there's the, that's where I jump in because I'm not a scientist, but I can, yeah. I, I can read the science. I can really love it. I can, it can stimulate me intellectually. I can agree with it. And then I have to figure out how to take that and put it into a tangible lifestyle for people. Absolutely. So, so how can I meet a young man in the street who's struggling with negativity, who thinks he sucks and his life is so horrible? And how can I tell him everything you just said in a way that he can understand, which is, you know, I can do that and every, people can do it in different ways. And that's, the, the interesting thing about um, science is that, you know, certain minds can understand it better than others, but everybody can understand the heart. And I like that you touch on that too, in the heart and, and the soul and the need for human connection, the need for human growth and positivity. Anyone can understand positivity, really. And so yeah. understanding the positive thinking, and in my own life, I have to apply this. I'm, I'm, I'm a victim, too, of my own wrong thinking all the time and my negativity, and I have to constantly catch myself. We're all there. And We're all doing that. <laughs> another, thing you, another thing you touched on, too, I think is really important, the very beginning of your monologue, I'm calling it a monologue, is that... Um, we're all victims, you know. We, the, the way the way science teaches us the myth and the wrong teaching is that we're all victims of, of our of our circumstantial reality, of our genes, of our genetics, and flipping that and taking accountability and responsibility for ourselves and realizing we're not victims. It's very freeing, but it's also scary for people. It's scary because all of a sudden they are more in control of the reality than they thought they were, and then that means they have to take responsibility to change. Uh- Big word, responsibility, and that's the dropout word for our civilization. Dropout responsibility when we have what we have today. Yeah. Nobody's responsible for anything. And it's just like, I go, what are you kidding me? Nobody wants to be. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's running from responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let, let's go back to this point. The, uh, the consciousness uh, comes from our mind, creates the chemistry that controls our genetics and behavior, and that fits the quantum physics story. Consciousness yeah. is creating this reality. Okay. Now comes the bigger problem, and the problem is this. There are two parts to the mind. They're interdependent. They learn in different ways, and they have different functions. The latest evolution, the conscious mind right behind your forehead, is the creative mind. That allows us to have imagination and creativity. The subconscious mind is the hard drive in a computer. And I go, so what? I go, well... Here comes the monkey wrench. Let's just bring it right out up front here. And I go like this. When we're in the conscious mind, then our wishes and desires are running our biology and our genetics and who we are and what we do. But when we start thinking, and this is where the problem comes from, is because the conscious mind has two uh, A, B switch. A, it could look out the window and see what's going on and handle it. But the conscious mind can think. And I say, well, so what? I say, Looking out the windows, being uh, awake and alert, 
thinking is going inside. Answers to thinking are not out here. Thinking is an inside job. So I say, so what does that mean? I said, if I take my conscious mind, I'm going to start thinking. It's not going to be looking out anymore. It's going to be looking in. To, that's where the thoughts are. I go, why is it relevant? Well, consider the body of vehicle with a steering wheel. And I say, when the conscious mind is in charge, the conscious mind's got its hands on the wheels and is driving us toward wishes and desires. But if the conscious mind starts thinking, it lets go of the wheel because it's not looking out anymore. It's looking in. So it's not paying attention to what's going on outside. I say, well, if I'm driving my car and I start thinking, what happens then? Am I going to crash? And I go, no, here's the part. When the conscious mind is thinking, looking inwards, the subconscious mind is called autopilot. Hmm. It picks up wherever the conscious mind was. The uh, subconscious knows how to drive the car. So I don't have to pay attention to driving the car. Most people, after they learn how to drive, pay little attention to the mechanics of driving. It's automatic at that point. So I go, so why is it relevant? And I go, because we think 95% of the day. I go, so what? And I go, that means only 5% of the day are you using the creative mind, which has the wishes and the desires in it. 95% of the day you're playing the programs that you downloaded from other people. Yeah. And I go, most of those programs that we get are disempowering and self-sabotaging. So I say, the average person struggles through life. I say, why? They have great wishes and desires, conscious mind, but their life is being controlled by the programs they got from other people. And all of a sudden, when that happened, then the life is not in their control anymore. Their life is in the control of the program. Yeah. The, the Jesuits, for 400 years, the Jesuits have told their followers, give me a child until it is seven and I will show you the man. I go, what the hell does that mean? I say, they've been telling you for 400 years. If I can get your download period, the first seven years, and download information into that, then 95% of the rest of your life is coming from that program. Mm -hmm. You become whatever I downloaded you to so become. So important, yeah. Yeah. And so basically, that's the true story. It basically says your life is not under your control when you are operating from subconscious programs because you're now you're operating from beliefs and behaviors you downloaded from other people. Yeah, let me, uh, let me, uh, let me yeah. jump in here with the – you mentioned the culture, blood being the culture for the cells. And if, yes. we, if we zoom out from the micro and go into the macro, if you look at an actual existing culture uh, and that each human being is a cell and the, and the culture that we live in at large – what kind of culture are we, are we living in, which is very sick all over the world. But it's self-destructive. Self-destructive. That's why we find ourselves and here. I think you talked about, um, you know, in your book, you had a quote about, I just wanted to read, which ties in about uh, the importance of uh, connection. Oh, this might be it. Oh, yeah. you. This is your quote. That's from your book. Oh. I, I took it from your book. <laughs> this is uh, from The Biology of Belief. You may consider yourself an individual, but as a cell biologist, I can tell you that you are, in truth, a cooperative community of approximately 50 trillion single-celled citizens. Now, that's true. You talked about that. But I was thinking about the fact that, again, the macro, every single human being is part of that trillions of cells. So we're all cells on the whole planet. And if we can have that, you know, that kind of uh, global consciousness of community, collective consciousness, yes. uh, it's amazing how we could just erase these separations, whether it's religion dogma, sexism, you know, racism. These are, these the are all programs. And these are all that, programs. Yeah. And that the culture that we live in, 
yeah, the culture is the planet, and we live in sick cultures. Our cells are not actually thriving uh, because the culture around us is so sick. And I think, you know, in my personal life, what I'm blessed, I am blessed to live in a community. So it's literally a subculture. I live in a spiritual, intentional community with 100 people from all over the world, uh, founded by my parents. And when you have people from all over the world living in harmony, in collective consciousness, learning together, unified in spiritual truth, believing in a loving creator, that connection and that, you know, the culture that we've literally created and we're all individual cells living in is in harmony. And so we have this collective consciousness. So it's interesting because there's the individual consciousness that controls our bodies and how we feel and how we think. But then there's the collective consciousness, which creates the super consciousness, which really comes from the creator of how we all conduct ourselves. And on a global level, if we could get that, and I think you might have touched on this uh, in a interview with Jeff Smith, who I also interviewed, uh, that I saw on, on one of his programs, that, you know, there was an excitement that you personally had about the global pandemic and that this is the time for, like, collective consciousness to really connect into, it's an opportunity for higher understanding. And this is a time for human beings to really uh, come out of kind of the old myths. Some of those old myths that you talked about, the four main myths that I saw in one of your videos, is... Um, you know, the, the Utonian universe, the dreams control our biology, which you touched on, and then the, the Darwinian theories of evolution is driven by random mutations, and that evolution is competition. And I like that you, you mentioned something that really stood out to me in, in that video. You said that uh, the root word of competition is to strive together, I believe. That's a real original and, definition. And that really struck me because... I've always said, and sometimes failed to live, that uh, it's, we're coming out of the age of competition and into the age of cooperation. But when I, when I understood that the, the, the root word of competition was to thrive together, I was like, wow, that's really cool. That's like what community is, and that's what a, a healthy culture is. But, you know, the world is so competitive, and all that competition and all that ego makes us all sick. You know, human beings are sick from their own wrong thinking. And so I just wanted to ask you, to me, when I really start studying this, it's like for someone to truly be healthy, not only do they have to have this personal understanding and apply it in their lives, but they have to actually live in an environment around them where others are doing the same. Otherwise, they are in some sense going to be affected by the negativity of everybody else's lack of consciousness. And so people have to band together. They have to surround themselves with people who are on the same page, the same consciousness level. And that can be difficult, like, uh, you know, when you start really raising your consciousness and then you're living in a neighborhood, people who, a neighborhood where people don't even come close to that understanding, um, the sense of community is needed. And how do you in your life uh, find that community or how do you, how would you encourage someone to, because I think whenever you're on the, when you're ever on the forefront of leading science, it can be a lonely place. You know, you talked about Copernicus when he when he when he discovered that we actually revolve around the sun. I mean, he the church went nuts. He was like, you know, ostracized, and he was like crazy. You know, that's yeah, all. but they loved his data. They <laughs> yeah. used his science, but yeah. they couldn't acknowledge of how he found that science. Yeah, because but, it challenged the infallible nature of the church because the church was wrong. Exactly. The Earth is not the center of the universe, and when he showed that, it broke the infallible nature of the church, but they couldn't let it happen. So they they told him, uh, guess what? We're going to use your science, but you can't tell anybody about this for the rest of your life. 
because if you do, we're going to have to, you know, you're a heretic and we'll have to punish you for that. So he lived his whole life knowing he broke the concept of infallible knowledge, but he was never able to say it until his deathbed. And that's he released a scientific book uh, on the revolutions of the heavenly bodies. uh, And uh, and he he sort of thumbed his nose at the church and said, hey, I'm going to die. So you can't punish me. I'll leave this book. There's some science in there. Challenge that. And that's that was the beginning of what is called the modern scientific revolution, because he broke the character of infallibility and said the church is not infallible. Yeah. And what I was yeah, and what I was getting at, too, is that new science and new spiritual concepts often are not accepted immediately. And they usually always rock the boat. They shake it up. They're like mind blowing to people. And it destroys, like you said, these huge myths that we live by. And uh, that's what I appreciate about uh, the biology of belief or, you know, in in the book there, it really illustrates some of those myths and how it's really shaken up medical science, but also just conduct, you know, of how we think and operate our lives. And to distill distill it all down into like layman speak, so to speak, um, the concepts of how we can apply these scientific truths and spiritual values, the merge of those into our daily lives to become better people, become more harmonized people, more godly creatures. That's the important thing to me. Like, how can I tell the next person down the street these truths and, it, how is it, and, and how can it help them, you know, in a, in a few minutes of passing? That's the hard part. Like, you well, know. that is the extreme hard part. I'll tell you why. And this is the part that is so discouraging for a lot of people. You know someone, even a family member, that needs some help, needs yeah. a direction. They're, they're not doing well. And you go out of your way to help them and give them information and support all this stuff. And it doesn't change. They still do exactly the same thing. And, and that upsets people because you're compassionate. I want to help my fellow and uh, and they're not paying attention. I go, you can't help somebody unless they're willing to, or asking for help. So if somebody's not doing something, you know, in a, in a way of life that supports them, and you go and try and help them, and they didn't ask you, then you just wasted all your energy, all your words, and everything. You cannot change somebody who's not willing and ready to make a change. Yeah. And that's a big problem because uh, humans uh, do have compassion as part of our understanding to tra- to help people. But then you have to realize if they're not asking for help, then you could be just wasting all of your time because they they're not open to making a change. Yeah. Uh, and, and you're you know, the, the beautiful part about reading this biology belief stuff is, well, I was writing biology belief. And I'm talking about the fact that our own consciousness is shaping our own biology. But then I also recognize a very important factor as I was writing it. And I go, yeah, but. The, there's collective consciousness, and that all of us are creating a consciousness in the field. And, and in mm-hmm. fact, a lot of people think that whatever's going on in their head, their mind is stuck in their head. It's inside. My mind is in here, private. I go, no, it's not, mm-hmm. because I can read your brain function with something called electroencephalograph, EEG, wires on the head. But I can also, using a newer technique, read your brain activity with a probe out here, not even touching you. It's out here. I go, I'm reading your mind out here? Yeah. Yes, it's called magnetoencephalograph. I go, so what is the point? Particle physics. <laughs> the point is the most important thing in the world. Your thoughts are not contained in your head. Yeah. Your thoughts are broadcast to the field. So everybody's head is like a tuning fork broadcasting a vibration. Yeah. Now, if you get a lot of people that believe the same thing, 
then all the tuning forks are coherent and working together, and every tuning fork amplify is an amplifier. Unity. If I have 10 yeah. people thinking of the same thing, that's one energy source. If I have 1,000 people thinking the same thing, that's 1,000 tuning forks. And so when I realized, oh, my God, culture is based on giving people a belief system that if you get enough people to believe in the belief system, they'll broadcast that consciousness. Mm -hmm. and, and that's where quantum physics said your consciousness is creating this world. You get large number of people to have the same consciousness, they create that reality. Yeah. And I say, and look at the consciousness creation we have today. We're going extinct because of human behavior. And you're right, 100%. The issue is two things. Are my cells and my body living in harmony and community? And am I as a cell in human civilization also working with the other cells, the mm -hmm. other people in harmony and community? Because that's our evolution. It's not just a, it's not an internal evolution. We evolved, body evolved. That's already done. What we're evolving now is I said a human body is 50 trillion individual cells working in harmony. The next level of our evolution is to get 8 billion human cells yep. to work in harmony and manifest a new world. And that's that's the physics and biology of it. Yeah, and that's that's really important. And in my own understanding and spiritual beliefs, that that's not going to happen without a, a, a unified spiritual collective consciousness. I agree 100%. We can't be arguing about whether we're created beings or not, or if the universe is intelligent or not, or, you know, and how do you get 8 billion people to agree? You can hardly get six friends to order a pizza and agree. You know, the <laughs> toppings on it. Well, <laughs> but, that, we're facing that problem right now, aren't we? <laughs> absolutely. And if you look at the world, it's become so polarized. You know, you got yes. with, the, with the pandemic, you have vaccine or no vaccine, mask or no mask. You had the political separations. And it's... It's All of that is devolution. It is. All of that is taking away because evolution is coming together in community. Devolution is break up the community. People have no power if they're not in community. Yep. An yep. individual has no power. But yep. when you get enough people to share the same belief, then there's power to change the world. And that's what we really need to do now. Yeah, and I want to share a term with you I think you really like. You talked about evolution and de-evolution. My father coined a term called spiritualution, which is the merge of the word spiritual and revolution or spiritual evolution. Yes. So a spiritualution movement, which is that consciousness evolution. It's really the recognition of uh, one creator, one planetary family. And within that, there's a lot of sub understandings of, of how to get a spiritualution, an evolution, like a, <laughs> a radical spiritual revolution to take place. But in that radical spiritual revolution, People have to be willing to be uncomfortable. That's another huge aspect. Everybody, you have to let go. You have to let go and you have to unlearn and you have to actually, you know, be willing to completely uh, throw away everything you know. <laughs> and a lot of people aren't doing that because they have their comfort zones and frankly, they have their power in their belief systems and their culture identity, whether they're, you they're know. They're living in fear. Yeah, they're living fear. in fear. And fear if you don't toxic. follow what I say, you're going to lose your job. You don't follow what yeah. I say, you're not going to get medical attention. You don't follow what I say, et cetera. And all of a sudden, we all are like sheep conforming because of the fear of what? And it all started, and, and, and you're so darn right about this, it all started with a lack of spiritual understanding. Yeah. Because the one thing that humans have different than all other animals on this planet is the reality of our mortality that we die. Yep. No other organisms know that, okay, I'm reaching an age and I'm gonna die. We know that. Yeah. I say, so why is it relevant? The fear of death 
is what led people to create stories of afterlife, which became religion. Uh, and so here's my story of afterlife. Here's your story. I got two religions. I go, and I go, why is this relevant? Because no, the people themselves don't understand their own spirituality. And I, I, and look, I was a scientist. I didn't believe in spirituality. I was doing genes and proteins and cells and all that. But what just blew my mind was when I understood that the cell was not being controlled by the genes, but by what's called the membrane, the skin, Mm -hmm. I also recognized the most important fact, and that was this. No two people are biologically the same. I go, what the hell does that mean? I say, if I take my cells and put it into your body, your immune system will say not self and destroy them. If you take your cells, put it into my body, my immune system will say not self. Uh, and then destroy them, okay? And so the relevance about that is very critical because the relevance is simply this, is that um, there's a self. (laughs) (laughs) And this self is very critical because this is the self uh, that is is me and, and different from you. And my cells know this. My immune system knows I'm a different you than you. And I go, so why is it relevant? And I go, where's the self? And that changed my whole world for this reason. And the simple understanding was this, was that the uh, cells in my body have an identity to them because your immune system can see they're not your cells. I said, so where's identity? And this is where my mind got blown because on the surface of our cells are these proteins like antennas. No two people have the same set of what are called self receptors. Ah, receivers of self, self receptors. We used to say it was the protein antennas that made us different. Quantum physics says, no, it's the signal picked up by the antennas that your identity is coming from. I go, why is it relevant? We're a broadcast in an energy field that is picked up by my set of antennas is different than you're receiving a different broadcast. Each of us is like a different uh, radio uh, uh, station on a network, you know. Each of us is receiving our own broadcast from the field. The moment I saw that was, wait, then the body is like a television set, and it's receiving a broadcast through these antennas called self-receptors. And the, I say, so why is it relevant? I said, well, the, identi- the show, you're watching the Bruce TV doing the Bruce show. If the TV breaks, we say the TV's dead. I go, absolutely. But then I say, is the broadcast still there? I said, oh, my God. The body comes and goes. The broadcast is always here. We're the broadcast. We're not the body. Yeah, we're just vessels. And all of a sudden I said, I can't die. I'm not even in here. <laughs> and <laughs> That's the soul. That was the, yeah, the soul and the mind. That was yeah. it. And that was the instant of not spiritual guy. And one minute goes, I got it. I'm totally spiritual. I didn't go through the devotional stuff. It was science. Yeah. You, you finally realized that the body was just a vessel, you know. Which is, yeah, important, uh, very important understanding. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm immortal. I say, why is it relevant? Lose the fear. Yeah. The greatest fear we have is death. And if you could lose the fear of death, like I did, I did it because it was science, not because someone in a church told me. I did it because I saw I'm a field playing through here. The TV comes, the TVs go, the field is here. Reincarnation, of course is another TV shows up with the same set of those antennas. Yeah. You're back, but in a different TV. And I go, does it make a difference is it male or female? I say, no, that's a TV set. Does it make a difference is white, brown, black, red, yellow? I go, no, that's a TV set. You are not the TV. You're the broadcast. If people could own that, 
as a truth, they wouldn't walk in fear. And if they don't walk in fear, then they have power because fear is what takes away your power. Absolutely. And that's the problem. Yeah, I mean, we see it so much right now in, gosh, in the media and everywhere. They're just keeping people stuck in fear. And fear is a mind killer. And the mind controls the body. And so when your mind is stuck in fear and anxiety, I mean, your cortisone levels are always off. Your whole body's going to get sick. I mean, it's it's real. It's a real thing. Have you? Yeah, have uh, you fear. Let me just add that because yeah. you brought it up, and it's really important. Um, when when you're in fear, you release stress hormones. Yep. Okay. One of the big things of stress hormones, which you just touched on, was this: the conscious mind's a slow processor. If you're being chased by a saber tooth tiger, or you're in a car going out of control. If you stay in the conscious mind, here here I am in a car going out of control, conscious mind in control. Oh, okay. But then I say, the moment the stress hormones are in the body, they cause the blood vessels in the conscious brain to constrict. And I go, why? Because it pushes the blood to the hind brain where reaction takes place. That's fast, but yeah. it's not consciousness. And I go, when we're in fear, we shut down our conscious capability and start living a reactionary reflex life with no consciousness. We become dumb. Yep. And the world is so much in fear that the intelligence level of the system is just decreased because everybody's afraid and they're looking for the guy with the bigger stick who's <laughs> going to save me in this problem. Yeah, totally. Have you heard of a book called The Urantia Book? I forget. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty in, in, uh, amazing book. It's like 2000 pages. You've probably seen it. It's usually blue. It's like that thick. Uh, I think you'd love the book. I don't know if you've ever dabbled in it, but it's pretty incredible. And there's a, there's a section in there about energy, mind and matter. And a lot of stuff about the mind and the separation of time, space, reality and energy and mind and consciousness. I wanted to read a quote though, and get your thoughts yeah. on it. Cause I think you would like it. This is from the Urantia book. Mind is a phenomenon connoting the presence activity of living ministry. In addition to varied energy systems, and this is true on all levels of intelligence, in personality, mind ever intervenes between spirit and matter. Therefore is the universe illuminated by three kinds of light, material light, intellectual insight, and spiritual luminosity. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a, and that takes us back to the quantum physics we started with. Your consciousness with those three forms of light collectively describing your consciousness have collectively described your life. Yeah. And if you understand those zones of uh, of light, uh, the spiritual part, the conscious processing part and you understand them, then you have power. But if I don't let you know that they're what they do and how they work, I have essentially programmed you to have no power. Yeah. And that's that's where we are in today's world. Here's another one you like, because it, it really sums up kind of everything you've been saying, just in a slightly different way. Cosmic force responds to mind, even as cosmic mind responds to spirit. Spirit is divine purpose, and spirit mind is divine purpose in action. Energy is thing. Mind is meaning. Spirit is value. Even in time and space, mind establishes those relative relationships between energy and spirit, which are suggestive of mutual kinship in eternity. Well, this is this is the issue. And, and the fact is this, as I said, if the mind, the conscious mind, which is connected to our spiritual source, is shut down because it's thinking, 
then we are disconnected from our spiritual source because at that point we're just playing the programs that were put into the hard drive subconscious in that first seven years. And that's the unfortunate part because our spiritual selves are not operating but not more than 5% of the day. And that's why we have so much difficulty getting out of our own way. Our own spiritual source is not fully you know, functioning yeah. in the daytime because of the thought processes going on. Have you heard of uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf? She wrote the book, uh, Switch On Your Brain. No, but it sounds important. Cool book. <laughs> she actually she actually quotes you in her book, too. <laughs> I was I was turned on to this book here, and uh, she actually talks, she actually quotes some of your research in her book uh, as well, but it's, it's very fascinating. But I, you know, I think I was going to ask you, how could you, or maybe already do this, some of your understandings of the biology of belief, I think it could really help uh, addicts. I think it could really help people who are stuck in depression with negative thinking and people who have uh, mental problems, uh, who struggle with mental illness, starting to really understand how to use their brain to shift their emotions. And one of our understandings, too, that we like to uh, live by, actually, and, and really study is the, is the chakras. Uh, so in this, the chakras of the body, when you're in your lower chakras in your root circuit, you're really processing all your emotions and your feelings and you're not really ascending to your higher chakras, the highest being, you know, the crown circuit where you can really process things from a more spiritually intelligent and logical yeah. perspective. And to me, that kind of ties into the teachings of the biology of belief and using our mind. And I think really starting to come up with programs and ways to communicate these understandings to people who struggle with addiction, who struggle with these mental health problems and depression, instead of just give them the pill, <laughs> you know, they can change their way. mind. And hey, look, I'm, I'm a victim of it too. Like I have wrong thinking and, and, and it's just incredible. Like, oh, if I could just change my mind, my mind is so much more powerful than my lower feelings and my lower chakras. Yeah. But what, here's the beautiful part. There are three chakras above the heart, which are involved with consciousness and spirituality. There are three chakras below the heart, which are really concerned with our physical life expression on this planet. And most important that people don't recognize, there's one in the middle, right between the upper and lower three. That's the heart chakra. Yep. And all of a sudden it says the heart is what integrates both the spirit and the material plane. We come from our head and fail to use the heart chakra. Uh, and what I get people to understand something that's very important about it is this. I said, when you have an important decision to make in your life, there are two, two ways to come to the answer. The most <laughs> used way is you go through your head with all the facts and data. If I do this, then what are the consequences? A, B, C, D, etc. And I go, that was like a, prog a program in, in algebra in school where you get a very large equation and your whole point was to reduce it to the smallest equation. So you start at the top of the large one and then you do step A and reduce it and step B and reduce it and step C, you, you go down. I said, if you make one error in any of those steps between the top and the bottom, the answer is wrong. Okay. So I say, yes, when it's time to make an important decision in your life, go through the A, B, C, Ds, all those things recognizing that as one of those facts you may have just used is probably wrong, and therefore your answer is wrong. So I say, and then what do you do? And I go, and here comes the part. After you go through all the exercise of figuring out what are the consequences of making this decision psychologically, then I go, the last thing you do before you make a decision is you ask your heart, how do I feel about this? 
And the reason why this is important, the heart doesn't deal with all the individual details of the consciousness. The heart reads energy. That's mm-hmm. all it reads. And it can tell you this. If I make the decision, do I get more energy or do I get less energy? If I go, why is it relevant? Energy is life. And so you can go through phase A, do all the thinking and processing and, and say, what's the meaning of uh, the choice? But I say, before you make that decision, you ask your heart. That's the one that determines for me. Should I do this or not? And I says, if my heart feels good and says go, then I go. Yeah, but like if that. my heart is hesitant, uh, if my heart's hesitant, I, I let go of that choice at that moment. And I say, why? The heart just reads energy. It doesn't detail all the facts. The facts could be wrong. That's where the problem comes from in making a decision with a series of facts where only one fact is wrong and the whole thing is wrong. The heart doesn't ask that. It just says, tell me what the energy is. Yeah, and it's, if it's more energy, energy is life. More energy, that's the one I want. Less energy, that's the one I don't want. And all of a sudden it says the heart is reading everything. <laughs> yeah. And so the heart has, has the final answers that are the truest answers for you. It's a little more ascended than saying follow your gut, too. <laughs> follow your you know the gut's been the lower shockers <laughs> um speak a little bit more about epigenetics because that's something i i study in uh, books called the cosmic family volumes here in the, in the university of ascension science and it talks about epigenetics and from your understanding if you were just to tell someone off the street what's epigenetics how would you describe that to them I would basically say that uh, the belief that genes turn on and off, number one, is a false belief. Genes are blueprints. That's all they are. And I say the blueprint doesn't turn itself on. It's the architect that reads the blueprint that turns it on and off. And I go, the genes are blueprints. They do not make decisions. But your mind is the architect. Your mind is the one that's creating the final image. And that mind is what ultimately controls your genes. And now all of a sudden I say that's what epigenetics is, the mind above, epi above the genes, epigenetics, uh, is the mind that determines genetic activity, not the genes. Uh, A gene is a blueprint, and I say, how an architect or your mind can read that blueprint? I can get, a a gene is a blueprint to make a protein, that's a building block of the body, okay? Over 100,000 different ones. I go, what about, I say, the gene is the blueprint to make that very complex protein. I go, so what? And I go, how you see the world, I can create over 3,000 different proteins from the same blueprint by the way the mind is reading the, the, the blueprint and cutting it and taping it and putting it together just like an architect. I can read the blueprint, take my pencil, cross this out, change this, change that. I go, that's what the mind does. So I can make 3,000 variations of proteins from the same blueprint just on how I see the world. I say, if I see the world in a very negative way, then unfortunately, the proteins that are going to be produced from that consciousness, that architect, are not going to be healthy. Yeah. And if I see the world in a positive way, then I'm going to manifest the, the best proteins to make my life uh, thrive on this planet. Yeah, you mentioned protein a few times, and it's in your book, and I think there's a lot of new science on proteins, too that just how powerful they are and how the proteins in the body, like even just on a, on a very base level, lack of protein, how it affects the mind function. And I think studying uh, the cosmic failing volumes from a circuitry level, and this gets pretty big and out there real quick, but yeah. proteins are actually connected to the universe in, in some ways. And so understanding that our bodies and our cells are actually connected to the entire universe, and you were talking about how 
your body is just a vessel and it's just, it's just a broadcast circuit and you're using it to broadcast out. I think all of our cells have thousands and thousands of sub-circuits that connect directly to the intelligent universe, the created universe, all the way to paradise, what I call Havona from my understandings of reading the Urantia book. In the paradise circuit, we, we read about something called the PAPCW, which is the acronym for the Primal Absolute Paradise Circuit Wave. Talk about broadcast. It's the ultimate broadcast from paradise that we can actually tap into at any time. And something that's exciting for me is that any time you start really understanding how magnificently designed our bodies are and how incredible they are to tap into this broadcast or any broadcast and how the, the chakras and how in tune we can be and how we can control our bodies instead of hating our bodies, which right now is, is a huge thing in culture, the body shame. And we think that, I mean, we just hate our bodies. We, kids grow up just hating themselves. It's terrible. And they're rejecting their own bodies, yet the body is just a vessel. But then they start to reject their own personalities. Personalities come direct from the creator. They're God-given personalities that we're kind of ascending into. We have to develop our personalities and manifest them. You mentioned a blueprint. I feel that our personalities are already designed and we're kind of fulfilling it and ascending into it as we grow spiritually. We come into our higher personalities. We become more actualized as we learn intelligence um, and gain knowledge and spiritual wisdom. We become more actualized in who we were created to be. But in the world, part of the, the disharmony and part of the process to keep people small, to keep people non-activated and empowered is to make them hate themselves <laughs> and the media and the culture especially in america and probably all over the world really is doing a really good job in creating a rejection of our own true selves our own bodies and so the self-talk and the self-hate and the shame and the way we talk about our bodies and we hate ourselves it's hurting ourselves it's hurting our particle reality so not only is our mind sick but our bodies are sick from the self-hate and then it goes to the other end of the spectrum. Now you have all this talk about self-love, which is great, but then it kind of goes too far because too much self-love and too much uh, out of balance, I should say, uh, turns into kind of narcissism, turns into self-absorption. And there is a distinct difference between self-awareness and self-absorption. Self-awareness is you're aware of yourself. You start becoming conscious of your choices and how you treat yourself, the decisions you make. Self-absorption is you're indulging in them all the time and you're not thinking of others. And the importance of being other-oriented and serving others is really a spiritual benefit for the immune system. I think service to others is actually what makes somebody a healthy person because they're not stuck in themselves. And there's that interchange, that particle reality exchange of service and love and care of another human being to help them be healthy. But in the world today, it's just the, the, the focus on self is really sad. We're so self-absorbed, we're materialistic, we're selfish. But the focus isn't even, it's just so polarized. You either hate yourself or you're obsessed with yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, the most important part is this. We are not alone in this world. Nothing, no organism lives alone. Yeah. Every organism is part of a community. And when we start breaking community, separating ourselves, that's when life really ends up in problems. It's so powerful to be in a community that uh, when a baby colt horse uh, starts to act up, the parents will nip at it at first to say, don't do that. Sort of like, you know, spanking. Don't do that. Yeah. But if that cult continues to act up, you know what they do? They push it out of the community. Yeah. They say, OK, you've got to be on your own. You go out. That turns out to be the most uh, the most uh, the strongest 
uh, uh, information because once that cult is out of the community, it'll do everything it can to get back into that community because it cannot sustain itself without community. Yeah. People cannot sustain themselves without community. So if we're not building community, we're not supporting who we are in the first place. Yeah, it and ties, that delusion is community. This ties in with a quote I was going to read read of yours from the hun- oh, from your honeymoon effect book. Um, human beings are not meant to live alone. There is a fundamental biological imperative that propels you and every organism on this planet to be in community, to be in a relationship with other organisms. Ties perfectly into what you were saying, what I was saying. And someone who actually literally lives in community, like literally, you know, some people say, oh, I have a great community of friends and I'm community. But I actually live on 220 acres with 100 other people in an actual community, a collective of people and souls all living together, striving together. And I can say that uh, being a part of that collective consciousness and being a part of a very well-organized structure of human beings, you know, learning together, growing together, failing together, loving each other, correcting each other is incredible. And it is a prototype society, I I believe, of how the world could live as a whole. And I just throw this in because. When the U.S. was founded, it was really founded on an entirely different principle than what we're living on today. Yeah. It was founded on what is called the Age of Enlightenment, the idea that a utopian world could exist. And in fact, the whole program of Enlightenment uh, uh, was modeled off uh, after the American uh, Native Americans. They saw how they lived in harmony and community. They tribal lived living. in nature, tribal, and they also took care of nature. They saw themselves as gardeners. And that's why people came from other worlds to come here. And then I say, you know what's interesting? The motto of the United States is E Pluribus Unum. I say, what does that mean? It says, from many come one. And this is the evolution. From many humans comes one humanity. Mm-hmm. That's what we're trying to create. But if the humans are not participating in humanity, then it, it, now it's falling apart. That's the big problem. Are we going to come together and recognize love thy neighbor as not not just a suggestion, but an imperative mm. to live in harmony? We have to all recognize we're all in the same body. Although we look like individual people, we are cells in a community. Yeah. And, and, and the failure of understanding that is the failure of the world that we see right now. Yeah, I think it really ties into what I was talking about, the self-absorption. Because the the more the media can make you obsessed with self and focused on self, it prevents you from the connection of that community. And so the more they can control you. When you're an isolated being, an isolated cell, you can be manipulated a lot easier, you know? Yes. It's really quite sad. (laughs) And that's why separating people, people only have power if they are in community. People alone, individuals, have no power on this planet. So... When you see the, the 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 leadership breaking the public into pieces, mm-hmm. uh, uh, that is against the our power. We lose power by being in pieces. They don't want us to come together because we come together, we become a very powerful force in shaping the planet. So it's the wake up call here, and this is what your program is all about: is to wake up. Uh, and get out of this dream of being a victim and being weak. And uh, uh, it's like, my God, we're creators. Yeah. <laughs> we are farthest from that unless, but it's based on, on belief. If you, you know, if you believe you can, uh, Henry Ford said this, if you believe you can, or you believe you can't, you're right. <laughs> and the point was why it was the belief. 
and our beliefs have been taken. Uh, you know, we, we've lost power by buying into beliefs that are all disempowering. Yeah. Like we need medical people to take care of us. Like, oh, you know, a lot of people lived here for hundreds of thousand years before there was a medical school, <laughs> and they did pretty darn well. Yeah. Uh, and I say, what's different? Because they knew that they could heal themselves. And we have no belief in healing ourselves that it has to be some pharmaceutical drug or something that will heal you when it's like, no, you make that chemical in your own head. You don't need to take a drug. If that drug worked, it's because you already make that drug in your head. Yeah. Uh, uh, but we don't want to give people back that power because then they won't buy the drugs. <laughs> so yeah. like, no. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show and talking, man. It's been uh, God time went by fast. We're coming up on an hour here, but tell me about what you're what you're doing. Is there anything new that you're researching or doing now, or projects, or a, a book you're writing, or what, what are you up to these days? Well, <laughs> now that uh, COVID has canceled most of my lectures, my career has changed. Dramatic change in my career. Yeah, uh, but uh, I'm still talking to people whenever I can, doing it Zoom or Skype, like we're doing right here, getting the message out. Why? Because knowledge is power. Yeah, and and if they separate us and 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 the knowledge breaks down, then we're lost because there's no power anymore. And what you're doing to me is an important role. What? empowering people with knowledge mm -hmm. because that's where the power is it's not the damn gun <laughs> it's the knowledge uh, uh, and people have been so programmed to feel as victims and a victim means powerless mm -hmm. we're powerless oh i can't take care of my health the doctor takes care of it and i go no you're the one that controls the health not, you know uh, and the point about it is what we must keep educating people in this time of getting a little darker bringing more and more light into this picture. Yeah. Because every person who wakes up becomes part of that bigger community that we are in, the growing community of let's be self-aware. Let's yeah. understand who we are and why we're here. Uh, uh, and for me, that was an amazing wake-up call because as I wasn't a spiritual person <laughs> in my most of my life, and then the moment I saw the mechanism of the receptors on the cell receiving my broadcast, it was like, oh my God. Uh, I not, am spirit. It was the aha uh, moment. And, and uh, not only was that a aha moment, but then I have to tell you the simple truth. I live in the midst of this BS uh, belief system, uh, in the midst of what's going on in this world. I still live in harmony with my partner, Margaret, my world I live in, the community I live in. And I find that I'm prospering in a sense of health and happiness and joy by not going out in the street and joining those other people who are, are being pushed and pulled by, you know, political and pharmaceutical forces that disempower them. Yeah. You are empowered. You live in a community that is distinct and separate from the surrounding community. Uh, and, and so I guess the big lesson that you're experiencing and I'm experiencing is this. I'm not going in there to fight that community because they got more power than me. If I go in there and try to fight them, <laughs> I'm just going to lose all my energy. I go nowhere. And the old story is, yeah, don't go in and fight the system. Go over here and build a better one. Exactly. Uh, yeah. uh, and this is what you're doing. This is what I'm trying to get people to do as well. Get out of that system. Don't fight it. It'll suck all your energy out. Yeah. Just move outside and live a different life out here. Uh, and, and my suggestion to those out there is watch this show. Yeah. <laughs> You'll get a lot of information well, of what to. you're going to do when you get out there. Definitely. That's the important part. 
Yeah, I think my audience will love uh, love what you're saying. I, mean, I know they will because it's right in line with what I'm saying all the time to everybody and what my teachers have been teaching me. I've been blessed to, to be raised by two very spiritual people, my parents, Gabriel Urantia and Neon Emerson Chase. And so I was brought up from a young age to have that self-awareness, to have that consciousness, to realize that I'm a created being in an incredible created universe with a loving creator and that the universe is beyond that, beyond just vastly intelligent, you know, it's designed and it's massive and it's incredible and we're, we're connected to it, you know, and then you take all that spiritual lofty stuff and you just synthesize it down to earth right now and just be a nice person. You know, like you said, love thy neighbor. If everybody truly loved thy neighbor or lived in harmony, which has been, you know, the teachings of thousands of spiritual people throughout centuries, just be a nice person. My father talks about all the, all the time, you know, he's kindness, just be kind. It's really quite that simple. Yeah. But then there's the, the, the intelligence and the, and the maturity knows that to be kind and to live in harmony, like you and I are trying to do, like you said, live in harmony, you have to take accountability for your actions, for your responsibility. That's and that responsibility word again. comes back to and, and, and living a responsible life is not easy because it's easier to be completely irresponsible, to not care about your choices and your actions and to not, you know, it takes self-discipline to be responsible and it takes maturity. Yeah. I, I feel and like, I don't even find know. that in our political leaders because oh, all no. political leaders are like, well, it's not my fault. It's that person over there, that person over there. Yeah. Nobody's going to stop and say, I did something. Yeah, <laughs> That's what we need. No honesty here, but uh, that's the only way out of the game. Yeah, well, hopefully uh, our conversation today will uh, inspire some of our viewers to take the steps in their own lives personally to get more real with themselves and, and who they are and what they're doing. And again, I really appreciate you coming on, Bruce. I've uh, been an appreciator of your work for a long time. I like to thank my mother because she's the one who actually turned me on to it. She's a great mind and writer and spiritual teacher herself. So, you know, I... Yeah, hopefully we'll do it again sometime. I think uh, I would. I would love to. Uh, there's so much uh, to talk uh, about. Know, I think we could just go for six, seven hours straight. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'd love to be with you on that regard. But more importantly, I love it that we have an audience out there that is seeking an answer that's not present in the regular field. Definitely. And that we we could help by saying, look, if you understand the mechanism, you can be the master of the mechanism. Yeah. And and this is uh, what we're both trying to do. So. I want to thank you for the opportunity to let me speak, and I want to thank our audience for people considering alternative views of how to live on this planet in a much better way. Yeah, and you nailed it by saying the uh, the master of our mechanisms ourselves, because one of the taglines in my podcast is the pursuit to self-mastery, you know, and that's yes. what these conversations are about. And I, I'm, I'm on that pursuit every day. And believe me, I'm far from mastering myself. But <laughs> hey, at least I'm trying. And I think you are, too. So that's where it starts, brother. <laughs> thanks for your time, thank sir. Thank you so very much. Blessings I, to I you so appreciate it. You have a good and, one. And thanks to our audience, because that's where the change is coming from. Absolutely. We'll be in touch, man. Blessings. Thank you. Check out my website at getrealordietrying.com. Leave me a voicemail on anchor.fm slash get real or die trying. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or any of the platforms you listen on. Be sure to follow me on social media and share this podcast with your friends. Word of mouth is a great way to share the vibe. Get Real or Die Trying with Amadon Delerba is a production of Global Change Media. And remember, pain is temporary, victory is eternal.